1: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. So happy to have you join us all today. Um, I feel like I haven't been here in forever, and really, it hasn't been all that long. Um, But we have what is, what I always say, a great segment or a great show planned for you today. Um, Before we get started, please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts. If you like this podcast, if you find it helpful, if you leave us a review, it helps other people find us as well, so we would really very much appreciate it if you would. Um, We're going to be answering your questions later on in the show. But before we get to that, we're actually going to talk about something that is super important to me right now, as it is July and I will be taking my son to college in literally about a month from today. Uh, And so we are talking about some important things that parents and students need to keep in mind about this transition to college. And joining me for that conversation is my colleague, who happens to be a former financial aid officer at both Harvard and BU. But more importantly, for the the context of our conversation today, she's also the mom of a college graduate. Um, Jan Combs is joining me. Jan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Beth. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So um, we actually all just got together in person for the first time and Uh, two and a half years was very exciting. And one of the things that we talked about uh, during that meeting was just transitioning our kids to college. And uh, just so happened we had this on the calendar to talk about on today's podcast. Um, There are a lot of different pieces, moving pieces, when it comes to making this transition. And so why don't we start with the financial, that's your specific area of expertise, um, and let's talk maybe about, are there some things that students are going to need to do in order to make this transition? Yes,
2: so there's a lot of financial related tasks, and right. certainly some that the student really should handle themselves, and you can let your son know that if it's applicable, <laughs> um, and certainly some that parents can on their own, and then some that absolutely should be handled coordinated together. So I think a few things for the student to have top of mind is if they're borrowing student loans, they absolutely, you know, in preparation of the bills coming out now and the bills likely being due next month, if not sooner, if students are planning on taking out the federal student loan program, they need to make sure that they're following the prompts from their college which would include having them go to the U.S. Department of Education's website to sign their master promissory note and to take care of their entrance counseling. It really only takes 15 to 20 minutes to take care of those two tasks. Of course, the MPN, they're signing that they they understand that they're borrowing a loan and that they're legally responsible. And the entrance counseling is really just comprised of 10 quick, really financial literacy-related questions. But it's super important. It needs to be done in order for the loan proceeds to be dispersed to the bill. So that's something that the student needs to do. And I do say student because it is a student loan, so they really should take care of that task themselves versus a parent doing it for them.
1: Yeah, and I have to say, and I will probably make comments about this throughout our conversation, but I'm on a parent group of the school where my son is going. And while there are a lot of legitimate good questions I see parents asking, I also see some parents doing way too much for their kids. Um, And so I do wanna echo what you are saying, which is it's a student loan. Maybe you can sit with them while they do it if you're not confident or they're not confident but you should not be doing this for them. They right. need to understand they're taking this loan and they should be the one driving this process. And it is a legal document
2: and a legal process. So it really should be the student borrower versus someone else. Right,
1: absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Anything else on the student side from a financial perspective? Uh, so there are a few things. If the student was awarded a federal work study award,
2: Um, then they really should start looking for a job even prior to going to campus. Um, Certainly, the student employment office at the college will have work-study listings and postings. Um, And if the student hasn't received a work-study award, that's okay. There's still plenty of jobs on campus that don't require a work-study allocation. So if students are interested in working... I always encourage them to start the process before they get to campus because it will be competitive, right? Everyone's going to campus at once and everyone's going to be interested in getting a part time job. Not everyone, but many may be. So looking at the student employment office listings now and the process, even calling offices of interest. Um, like If they're interested in working in the athletic center, well, hey, give them a call and see if they have any job openings or look on the boards. Um, if they can't do it in advance, certainly do it as soon as they can once they step on campus.
1: Yes. I love this. It never occurred to me to have my son do this when I am done recording the podcast today. I will be texting him right away. Hey, here's something you could be doing. So see, I love this. This is why I was very excited to host this particular segment. Um, okay, great advice for the students. What about parents? What are some things that I need to be thinking about doing right now?
2: Sure, so certainly obvious, right, is to get the bill settled, right? Yes. So are starting to come out now In the last week I've heard from many families that I work with that they have received the bill. One thing that I'll mention, and this is going to take student and parent kind of coordination, is the bill actually goes directly to the student. So if your student hasn't shared that with you yet, certainly check in. Um, Because of privacy laws, because students are technically, um, you know, adults when they enter college or are enrolled in college, the bill will actually go to them. So parents, if you haven't heard about the bill yet being available, check with your student, because very likely it is. And your student will be able to access that online via their student account portal. So that's one thing that parents and students can do together. Um, Parents obviously need a plan. Um, If they're taking out loans, have they applied for loans? If so, are they in process? Is there anything else that they need to do? Parents will also need to sign an MPN and take care of required paperwork. Um, if they don't need to borrow loans, have they contacted their 529 provider? This is just one example. It takes a few weeks, at least it did for me when I was paying for my two oldest so far. I had to contact the 529 provider two weeks prior to when I needed the money actually to get to the school. Are, are you going to use cash flow or discretionary funds? Have you signed up for a payment plan, for example? So things do need to take time. Lots of options available to families, but they do take time. So making that plan now as to how you are going to attack paying that bill um, is super important.
1: Yeah, and I can share that at my son's school, the bill does indeed go to him. It goes into the portal, so it doesn't get mailed to any, you know, there's no physical bill that's coming. What he had to do was to add his dad and then me as an authorized family um, member to be able to access the account so that we can also see the bill but we could in theory have relied upon him to you know open the bill and let us know and and figure out how we were going to pay it i think in our situation it's a little bit more complicated because his dad and i are divorced and this is just the easiest way um, the bill was supposed to be in the portal on july 11th but it did just appear yesterday so you know, like- yeah exactly i, I you know I was excited to see it come in just because, you know, we know we need to get it paid and, and um, you, you get nervous that you've missed something if it's not there. But if you don't, if the bill has not arrived yet, you should be checking for it. And if it still hasn't arrived in a little bit, you might be wanting to reach out to the college to find out when you should expect it because, God forbid, it had been sent and for whatever reason, it didn't make it into the portal or into your mailbox. And very few schools actually mail the old-fashioned way. So yeah. That's point that, that usually it is going to be
2: electronic. Sometimes they'll just send an email to the student saying, hey, check your portal. Some colleges will, as you mentioned, allow parents to be set up as proxies. And mm-hmm. I did both of my son's colleges where I would actually receive an email and it would say to the payee for... Yes. Next child. Um, and then I could just click on that link, go right in and, and see the bill. So being a proxy is really important, especially I think if you're sharing expenses with someone else and trying to coordinate. Mm-hmm. So just think everyone, it's a lot of online uh, billing and
1: access. Yes. Yes. So there's an, another area that parents also need to be thinking about. Correct. And I mean, I know it's something Jack and I have talked about just around um Well, and his dad and I have talked about just around how we're going to get him money. How is he going to get his own money? So can you talk to us a little bit more about how that piece generally you want to think about? Yeah, so students should definitely have a way of receiving money,
2: paying money certainly for some students many might already have a debit card and they used to use, they used to using that for paying for things and that's great. Um, but students also need a way of receiving money especially if they're not near their parents when they're studying. So perhaps having um, a bank that's on um, on campus perhaps that they can access via an ATM or a local bank or account where a parent can wire money over. Um, A lot of colleges also have what's called a campus card system, and these Mm. are absolutely terrific. I highly recommend it if your student's college offers it. I had for both of my oldest um, sons so far, whereby they had a campus card, and it could be used on campus, (laughs) uh, at the bookstore, at the local um, coffee shop, at some of the local um, gift shopping types of things. Um, it could also be used for sports t- tickets and things like that. And I could so I could just log in and say, okay, you've got, you know, $500 for laundry, printing and books and whatever it is for semester one. I could check the balance. I could actually see what it was being spent on. And then if I needed to, I could actually refill it from afar. And that way I knew that my student always had funds available for on-campus living and things of that nature so the campus card systems are great um, as well as in some cases that local you know um, ATM machine um, and of course their regular debit card that they would use anyway. Right,
1: right. Yeah yeah I mean what I can say is that my son has had a junior um, bank account through me now that he's 18 he's changed that over to a standard bank account and both his dad and I have access to put funds in but that's it so I can't move money around. I actually can't see what his balances are. And I actually, for me, I think that's really a good thing um, because I've, over time, I've seen his ability to manage his money. And I also feel like this is an opportunity for him to do that. He is going to be responsible for earning his spending money. um, And I'm not going to micromanage that um, for him. And budgeting, you know, that ability to be able to budget, that's perfect. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, and we will also be doing the campus card thing because like you say, uh, I don't know if most, but many colleges do have that. His college does have that. and We'll be taking advantage of that as well. It's hugely helpful. So we've covered a lot on the finance side. There are some other things um, to be thinking about in this transition as well, um, especially around uh, health and things like that. So what can you share about that? Sure. And this is really important to me,
2: when my two sons were heading off. And I don't know if it was because we're both football players or what, and I was extra nervous, but there's a lot of of medical and health-related paperwork um, and preventative steps that I do encourage families to think about before their children head off. So the first two really kind of relate to medical treatment authorizations. And the first would be just a standard um, HIPAA form And that stands for Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, or HIPAA. And I know people sign these when they go to their doctor's offices. Um, There's a form that the student can sign, giving the parent permission to speak to medical professionals on their behalf and to get information about a diagnosis or a treatment if the student cannot themselves, okay? I know no parent wants to think about this, absolutely. But... I know my kids were heading off, they were football players and I wanted to have everything in place. So they signed a HIPAA form, which would allow me to have a conversation if they couldn't. Then in addition, there was also the health um, proxies as well, which would allow someone to make decisions on behalf of their child if they could not. So one is more about access to information and one is more about actually making decisions. So both are important. Um, They do need to be signed by the student. When I was doing them, they both also had to be witnessed. And there were two witnesses, and it has to be dated. So it is something that you should do prior to your student leaving. Um, It doesn't take too long. It's like a one-pager for each of those. But because it has to be signed and potentially coordinated with a witness, you do want to do it in advance. And that, God forbid, it allows you to help your student if they ever need it. Um, something I'll also quickly mention: I kept the hard copies on at my desk. I scanned them in and put a, a copy, a scanned copy, on my laptop. And then I actually took pictures as well and kept it on my phone. That way, I would have it if I ever need it. Um, so those are two things I definitely recommend. If your student is studying in a different state, I do encourage you to also check with that state. One of my kids studied out of state and I had to do two health proxies, one for the state I live in and one for the state that he was studying in. His particular college had the information on their website, which was super helpful. Right. Um, if not, your, the state health department where the student is studying will likely have some guidance.
1: So actually two follow-up questions, well, one follow-up question and one follow-up comment. The first follow-up question is, will the colleges provide these forms or you have to go and look for them?
2: So not necessarily. So my oldest son's college in their health services, you know, they did a terrific job of HIPAA forms and FERPA forms and health proxies and all of that. My other son's <laughs> nothing on there. Did their not. <laughs> not gonna say who's who. Um, so you might have to look around. Um, but HIPAA forms and health proxy forms are very common types of legal forms. Um, So I don't think people will have difficulty finding them. It's just a matter of getting them in advance and having your child sign them.
1: Got it. Okay. The only other comment that I want to make here is for any of our listeners who perhaps your students, and this is not something you really want to grant your parents. There are a lot of different relationships out there. And most people hopefully have a great relationship with their parents. And some people don't know that this is not something that you are required to do as an adult. You have the right not to do this. And, but it might make sense for you to designate somebody who you do trust yes. and have a good relationship with to do this for you, because if you are incapacitated in any way, you wanna know that there is someone who can make a decision that, you, who you'd be comfortable making that decision yes. for you. So just yes. something for you to think about there.
2: Absolutely, they can designate any trusted individual that they
1: would like, it doesn't have yes. to be a yeah. does not have to be a parent, which I love. Um, And what else? Anything else um, on this front before we kind of wrap up our getting all this stuff done before you transition? Sure. The, The few other things I'll mention
2: that are kind of medical related. One is all colleges do require a physical and an immunization record. So just make sure your student has already uploaded that into their system because it will hold up enrollment if it's not in their system. So I would check on that. Um, a few other just kind of preventative steps that I took with my two oldest, I ordered them an extra insurance card so they would have it for their wallet. And then I asked them, and they did, um, to make a, to um, take a picture of it and keep it on their phone. And that actually came in handy. One of mine ended up in the emergency room, and of course he didn't have his wallet on it, but of course he had his phone. And he could just show that card. And he was able to get, you know, treatment. They had all the information that they needed. So that's a good thing to think about doing. If your student needs um, prescriptions or anything like that, it's good to set up an account with either a mail order system or better yet with a local pharmacy. In the event that they did get sick and someone needed to call in an antibiotic, it's easier to have the account set up at the local pharmacy than when they're sick and not feeling well. So that's another thing you can do in advance. I think it's important for kids to also understand their medical history and that of their parents. So it's a tough conversation, but sometimes just making sure that they understand everything that they would need to tell a doctor in the event that they do get sick or hospitalized. Certainly two last quick things is, um, you know, we are still in COVID. So making sure that students understand the rules um, and the guidelines that their college is placing on, you know, COVID precautions. Um, And then certainly if you're a family that typically would have your student get a flu shot, um, I know that my kids were able to get them in August from their pediatrician before they headed out. Um, if your student can't, then certainly remind them that likely most colleges will be having flu clinics in September or October. Um, so those are some of the medical related things to think about, which
1: hopefully will make your student's life safer and easier. Yes, I love that. Um, one final note that I will have, because this is coming up on the parent boards again for the school that my son's going to be attending, is the question around waiving or not waiving health insurance and providing Um, proof that you have health insurance if you are electing to waive it. Um, In an interesting twist, we are actually going to accept the college's health insurance for my son because, again, divorced parents, instead of having to try and split these costs behind, now we're just going to go all through the college for that. And we found that to be an easier solution the way we have been doing it, which is I cover the insurance and then my ex pays me for my son's portion of it, and it gets a little messy this is going to be clean and easy. He's going to pay half. I'm going to pay half. But know that you do not have to accept that insurance. However, there is typically a very limited time for you to waive that insurance. And so you want to be on top of that. I know that at my son's school, if you don't waive it by August 1st, then congratulations, you have the college's health insurance. For at least the first year, exactly. And know that you can revisit each and every year.
2: If you waive it for year one, you you can have it in the future and vice versa. Um, they all will have a health insurance waiver form on their website, and Beth, that's right. It's a huge, deadline-oriented. Um, it usually is either July or early August, so check now. Um, in some cases, it makes perfect sense to take that health insurance coverage and in some cases, your student might be attending a local university where their coverage is going to be exactly the same. And you might waive the schools and stay on the parents. So it really depends on the family, your situation, where your students are.
1: Yes, absolutely. Jan, thank you so much for sharing not only your professional insight, but also your personal insight with us today. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here and best of luck to you. Oh, thank you. We are probably going to need it because as we talked through all these things, I was thinking of all the things I haven't done yet. So... Uh, I've got time, though. A little bit of time left. Um, All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be answering your questions. So you definitely don't want to go away for that.
0: When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful, but Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. You are listening to Getting In, A College Coach Conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to Getting In, A College Coach Conversation. And I am joined, as I most frequently am for these listener Q&As, by my colleague Shannon Vasconcellos. Hi Shannon. Hi Beth, how are you? I'm good thanks. So for those of you who are new to the show, Shannon is a former financial aid officer at both BU and Tufts and Shannon is usually the guest when we do listener q and um, I just want to put a plug in to people for actually submitting questions. Probably the easiest way quite honestly is for you to just Send us a question. You can message us on Facebook. You can post it right on our Facebook page. You could post a question on our Instagram. Um, You could even put it on LinkedIn if you were so inclined. We are on all of those social media platforms. You could put it on my Instagram, which is Elizabeth Heaton. Um, So, any number of ways to get that to us. You could also send us an email gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. I think the others are just a little easier because you don't have to remember the address. You could just (laughs) Follow us, and then you can send it
3: The the other option is there's a form on our website to getintocollege.com, and you can just fill out the form. That's another quick and easy way to get it to
1: us. Very good point. Um, So lots of ways for you to get us your questions, and we're getting to the end of the questions that we've gotten from listeners, so bring them on. We do this uh, at least once a month, so we'd love to answer the burning questions that you have. And speaking of burning questions... Shannon, and actually I believe this comes to us from our website, um, from Kathy, who asks or who says, hi, I love, in all caps, your show. Thank you, Kathy. I love that you love it. Please review us on Apple Podcasts. And have learned so much. The episode about spending college savings made me wonder. If you have a 529 and a Coverdell savings account, is one better to spend first? Thank you so much. Yeah, and I would say for most people,
3: probably not a big deal in which order you spend them. They are, to take a step back, they are very similar accounts. They both give you a tax break for saving for college. You get the earnings of both accounts tax-free as long as you use the money for college. Um, They both have a penalty uh, of 10% of the earnings and taxation if you don't use the money for college. Um, There's a number of differences um, in terms of who can contribute, the amounts you can contribute, the investments you can hold in the accounts, but for the purposes of this question, I think that the biggest difference between the accounts is that 529s can stay open indefinitely, whereas Coverdell accounts expire when the um, beneficiary of the account turns 30. So, If and again, for most people, this is not an issue because even between the two types of accounts that they might have, they probably don't have enough to totally pay for college. That's the case with the vast majority of folks. So as long as they're both going to get spent up uh, on college, there is no issue. But if you are possibly going to have too much air quotes money uh, saved for college where you can't spend it all on college. The Coverdell might be uh, the better first one to spend because it has that age limit. If the account is not spent by the time the beneficiary turns 30, that account is liquidated, given to the beneficiary. And if it is not liquidated for college use, if the beneficiary has to pay taxes on it plus mm-hmm. a 10% penalty. Um, Whereas with the 529, if it's not used immediately for college, it can just stay open. If your child decides to go to college or to grad school 20 years down the line, they can use it then. If you want to change the beneficiary of the account to somebody else in the family, a younger sibling, or even the child of the original beneficiary, so your grandchildren, you can just change the beneficiary and use the 529 for them. So because the 529 has that little extra flexibility, I think if I were you, I'd probably spend down the Coverdell first, just because it does have that age limit.
1: Love it. Makes
3: sense. Yeah. What do you got for me? The first question for you comes in from Naomi, and Naomi asks, we just saw that the Common app will be available as of August 1st. My daughter wants to start submitting applications that first week of August but her school counselor isn't available to assist with that, which I imagine is quite common. They haven't gone back to school yet. Yes. Uh, What should she
1: do? Um, Well, obviously, I don't know all of the particulars here, and I'm not sure where your daughter is going to be applying to college. I think the first thing that I would say is that even for schools practicing rolling admissions, typically speaking, so long as you get your application in by maybe October would be you know, at a, at a school where they're really, the applications are flooding in, you know, qu- quite honestly, by November is probably still okay, but I would shoot for October for rolling admission schools. Um, you're totally fine. And if the school has an application deadline, that is November 1, December 1, January 1, February 15th, truly, there is not a whole lot to be gained by rushing to get your application in. Um, That said, your daughter can certainly submit her parts and then the school can submit their parts later, but understand that it's really going to go into a holding bin and nothing's going to happen to it. Um, I want to make a plea to appreciate and understand where school counselors are coming from. They are also trying to take a summer vacation. Um, They might make themselves available during their summer vacation, but this is not something you should ask them to make themselves available for. It might feel like it's urgent and the application is open and therefore I need to start submitting, but the reality is that it is not, it can wait. Um, At most schools, they're not gonna be ready to start submitting things like transcripts or assisting with letters of recommendation or any of that for at least a few weeks once you get back to school. So I would say that realistically, and school counselors who are listening, I hope that I am representing you well here realistically, I think, you know, mid-September is the absolute earliest that you probably could expect them to have their pieces ready. And probably, honestly, more realistically, the end of September, early October. Again, there might be a school where this is truly of the essence. I don't know what that school is. (laughs) So off the top of my head, I don't know what that school is. Um, So really what I would encourage is that your daughter be Absolutely. Fill out the application once it's available. Um, Maybe make sure that it's all exactly the way that she would like it to be. Work a little bit more on that essay if if that's not quite done. You know, there are generally, generally things that you could be doing to improve the application so that once you're back to school and in the swing of things and your school counselor is, you know, ready to help you, then you can have your pieces ready and you know and that makes the school counselors lives easier as well because now you're not dragging your feet but um i mostly just kind of want to say chill a little bit on this one (laughs) right Um, but i do love the enthusiasm and i i probably honestly i take it over the um The student who is dragging their feet and not doing anything and deadlines are approaching and they've still done nothing, right? Exactly. Yes. And there's plenty, like you said, there's plenty she can be
3: working on on her end. The submission part and anything that the school counselor needs to do is not an emergency at this point.
1: Exactly. For those of you who are listening and your your child is not a senior or you are not a senior, you still have a year left. One really important thing that I would be doing during your junior year is understanding what the school policies are, how far in advance you need to let them know where you are applying, um, what the process is for them to submit your materials, which of your materials they actually take care of submitting. So most schools do submit the transcript on your behalf and usually a council recommendation if that's a requirement. Some schools will also gather the the teacher recommendations and submit them for you. In lots of other places, the teachers will be responsible for their individual submissions there. And the best thing you can do is really understand how that's gonna work at your school um, so that when you come back from your summer break, you know what to expect. You know what deadlines you need to hit, and you're going to do your part to make your school counselor's life easier, and therefore make your life easier because everything's going to happen in the time frame that you need it to.
3: All right, and I, an yes. additional plug to have some grace with your school counselor yes. as you're worried about, you know, your one college application. They are likely having to worry about hundreds of applications potentially. So give them a little grace and have some patience.
1: Exactly. I would agree with that. And know that at many schools, and certainly not all, but at many schools, there is a grace period whereby you need to have your stuff in by by the application deadline, but there can often be a week or two, sometimes even a little bit more um, grace period where the other pieces of the application, the transcript, the letter of recommendation, things like that. Can arrive a little after the deadline. So understand that that is not at all schools, but at many schools. Awesome. All right. Shannon, aid and scholarships are really important to us, but there's so much to focus on with the application process that we're going to focus on finalizing the list and getting applications out the door before we deal with financial aid or scholarship stuff. That's fine, right? No, it is not. And I was. When I saw this
3: question, I thought so often our answers are very nuanced and it depends. It might work for somebody and not for others. This is just a flat out no. It, it, it is not fine. I, I guess the, if I tried to find a way, it, it would depend. If you're just independently wealthy and you the money doesn't matter at all to you, you're willing to pay whatever it costs, then fine. But this person, I said, that is not the case. The, the finances are important to them um so no you want to be incorporating your concerns about the finances right from the beginning of your college search it is no use getting into a college if you can't afford to pay for that college um so i would say any school that you are interested in a good first step is to run the net price calculator on that school's website those calculators exists to help you estimate need-based financial aid eligibility um, well before you even applying. So that's a great first step to take to figure out, is this school in my price range or not? That can drive whether or not that school ends up on your list. Um, The net price calculators that every college has on their website are required to estimate need-based aid eligibility in advance. The best ones also incorporate merit scholarships into their calculators. Um, That way, those good calculators, you really have a good kind of all-in estimate of what that school will cost you. If the schools don't incorporate merit scholarships, um, then what you need to think about is schools use merit scholarships as a recruitment tool. They're going to offer scholarships to the students that stand out the most in their applicant pool. Um, So in order to maximize merit scholarships, you need to apply to some schools where you are going to stand out, where you're going to be unique, where you're going to be above average. Those are going to be the schools that are most likely to offer you scholarships. So you want to make sure when you're designing that list of schools you're going to apply to, you want to have some of those, what we would often call safety schools on that list. So again, the finances are coming into your thought process right from the beginning when you're deciding where to apply. Um, at least they should be if right. you're really worried about, about the finances, which most of us are. Um, and then I, this, the only other point I would make is you're thinking about the finances when you're designing your list. And then the, the another step is to actually submit financial aid applications. Um, and one, I don't think this is the case with the person that submitted the question, but sort of the common mistake people make is they wait till they have heard they have been accepted to a college to submit financial aid applications. Again, under the theory, we'll worry about that later. Mm, um, yes, that You should not do that. Um, colleges can have financial aid application deadlines, if not the same day as their admissions application deadline. Sometimes they follow very shortly thereafter. Uh, funding can be limited at schools and they run out of money. So again, another thing to keep track of right from the beginning, what are the financial aid application deadlines and make sure you get those applications in well in advance of those deadlines to make sure that schools are still at their most generous points. They still have lots of money to afford.
1: Yes. And the only thing I would add is that when you think about families who get themselves into a lot of trouble financially paying for college, I swear it starts by getting into a school that you can't afford, right? So if you knew that you couldn't afford it, then you could have not had the student apply. And then you could have avoided that altogether. So please don't leave it. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we have a couple more questions that we're going to try to get to, so
0: don't go away. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit getintocollege.com to learn more. College admissions can be stressful You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show.
1: All right, welcome back, everybody. We are answering your questions today. My colleague Shannon Vasconcelos and I are. Shannon, you have a question for me. I sure do. This question comes in from Ming and Ming asks, my daughter
3: is really busy this July with an internship. We have a family vacation planned after that, and I'd like her to have some downtime in August before school starts. Lots of her friends are visiting colleges, but we're going to do that after she finds out where she gets accepted. Is there any reason not to do that? My guess is yes, but tell me if I'm right or wrong. Yeah, no,
1: I would say yes. I would say that the only reason not to visit colleges would be if you truly can't afford to visit colleges. And by that, I don't mean that you need to visit every single school that your student's going to apply to, but there really is no substitute for setting foot on a campus And while there were a lot of substitutes for that during COVID, especially you know where a lot of schools were doing remote, um, sort of live guided tours that you could follow along via Zoom and things like that, that was great. But the amount of uncertainty that students had when it came time to actually make a choice during the last two years is was really um, it was very very difficult, and um, we're seeing students a lot more interest in transferring. And there are a lot of variables impacting that. And I'm not going to say the choice or they really didn't have a choice, but the inability to visit a college um, before they'd been admitted and in some cases before they actually accepted the offer um, is only one of those. But it's such an important piece if you're going to commit four years, possibly more of your life. And as a parent, if you're going to commit your very hard earned money to spending on this experience, you really wanna make sure that this is an environment where you're going to be happy. And there's only so much you can see from afar. So at the very least, you certainly should be visiting the schools that are relatively close to you within driving distance. Um, I do understand the desire to have some downtime in August, but at the same time, Visiting colleges should be kind of fun, right? You're thinking and dreaming about what's coming up ahead and where you might spend the next four to five to six years of your life. Um, and I would just really encourage carving out time for that. These visits certainly can be done on the weekends, in the fall, you know. so there's generally a, a fair number of opportunities to do visits. They don't all have to happen in the summer, um, but I absolutely am not supportive of the idea that you just wait until the student finds out where they've gotten in and then go and visit. Because what happens if your student applies to eight schools, gets into six, um, and you go and visit six schools and your student doesn't really like any of them. Mm -hmm. And it's very possible because also, if you haven't visited a college, you might think that certain things are really important to you that ultimately after you visit, you realize, oh, I don't actually care about that at all. It's this that's the most important thing to me. So as an example, I would say that sometimes you have a student who says, I really need to be in a college in the city. In the city is where I am. And then they go and they visit a school that's in the suburbs, um, and they visit two schools in the city, and they realize, wow, I love this one school in the city and this other school in the suburbs, and I don't like this other school in the city because at the end of the day where the college was in terms of actually being in an urban center was less important than the fact that the two schools the student really liked had um, an academic program that was particularly Mm -hmm. compelling to them or had um, the way that the campus was set up felt made it feel more like home. So there are so many variables, even among schools that seem like they're alike Um, And then also there are so many things that can change after a student visits a college. So um, I'm really going to put my strong plug in here to visit at least some of the colleges the student's going to apply to um, so you have some perspective or your student has some perspective on what they truly like and what is actually less important at the end of the day. Yeah.
3: And I think sometimes students and we all do this about things we don't know, if you've never gone to college, they will sometimes get like a romanticized notion in their head of the type of school that they want to attend. Maybe it is the school in the city, or maybe it's a rural school, um, that that's the big thing in town, or maybe it's a big school, or maybe it's a small school. They get an idea in their head that they haven't experienced, and maybe if they wanted, that, they thought they wanted that city school, they set foot on a city campus, they may say, oh, this is not what I was expecting. Right. And Absolutely. if that's what was driving your search all along, then you're in trouble.
1: Right. Well, exactly. So let's say you have a student who's really interested in city or thinks they're really interested in the city. So they their whole list is it's BU, it's NYU, it's GW, um, it's uh, University of New Orleans. It's uh, just a number of schools, all of them in individual cities. You never see one, and then you go to BU and you realize, oh my goodness, there's really like not a, cam- I mean, there's a campus here, but kind of not, and this isn't, this isn't what I imagined for my college. Mm-hmm. I imagined a big green campus just plopped in the middle of the city, Right. So I could leave and go and do those things I like to do in the city, and that's not what it is at all. So to your point, you have a list of eight schools that you've applied to, they all fit that bill. Now you don't like that. Now, what are you going to do? Right. So in case I'm not being clear, please don't do that. Please <laughs> some colleges. Um, and I, you know, I don't even, I see that we're getting some pushback in our conversation sometimes with families about this and just not understanding. And the last thing I'll say on this, and I, cause I do want to get to at least one of the other questions that we have, um, is that at, many schools these days they are tracking demonstrated interest and while there are many ways for them to track demonstrated interest the holy grail is visiting so um, there is no greater predictor of a student actually attending your school than if they have taken the time to visit now not every school is tracking that And unfortunately for all of our listeners out there who are aspiring to the most selective schools in the country, those are the schools least likely to care if you actually set foot on campus. Um, But there are plenty of schools who are. And so if for no other reason than that it's a top choice of your child's and they wanna make sure they're doing their best possible job to to get in, then um, you wanna visit because that's something that's going to matter. Right. Um, and
3: just i know we want to move on but right. the finance expert in me sort of needs to say and you did reference this at the beginning if you cannot afford to visit i have complete sympathy with that and there are ways to try to get a feel for a campus without visiting um but i think they they're not they're a substitute if they need to be and maybe you do have you can only afford one trip maybe you do wait to see um where they're accepted um, but there are great, you know, campus tours and things online that you can do if you need to. But if you can afford to swing the visit, I think I agree with you that try to yeah. make that
1: happen. Right. Absolutely. And I think in, based on what Ming is describing, my guess is yeah. that the it's not the finances so much as the perception that there isn't the time. And I would argue that there is nothing more important for your daughter to spend her time on than at least a handful of visits. So. Agreed. All right, Shannon, I have another question for you um, that feels unfortunately very timely. (laughs) Um, This comes to us from Terry. Terry says, my son is already committed to his college for the fall, but since receiving his financial aid offer, our savings has taken a significant hit with the drops in the stock market. Is it too late to ask for more financial aid?
3: Yeah, I think a lot of people are feeling this and may have this question and I would say, it's not too late. You can go back to a financial aid office at any point as your circumstances change and ask for more financial aid, ask them to reconsider your financial aid package. My concern with this question is that even though it is not too late, the concern is sort of too universal. Um, Stock market has gone down essentially across the board. Anyone with any money in the stock market has lost money, um, give or take. (laughs) So, you know, if they increased your financial aid for this reason, they would have to increase kind of everybody's for the same reason. And the school likely cannot afford to do that. The school likely lost money in the stock market too. Uh, (laughs) it is in less of a position to help out. Um, so I would say it's not too late and there's really no reason, um, not to ask. I always say, you know, ask, the worst they'll say is no. And you never know, maybe they did find this new scholarship fund that you meet the very specific criteria for, and maybe they can throw a little bit of money your way. Um, but I would say that is an unlikely outcome. The most likely outcome is they'll say, no, sorry, we don't have any more money to give at, at the moment, um, unless there's some particular individual circumstances that are unique to you that you can bring up like your company just had a round of layoffs and you lost your job that is very specific to you and not everybody right Uh, not every student at that school absolutely let them know that a hurricane came and blew the roof off your house and you had to replace your roof let them know about that those are more specific individual circumstances that they may be willing to take under consideration for an individual. These more kind of universal circumstances that we have all experienced, uh, they're, very, um, they're much less likely to be able to work with that. Um, they look at your finances at one point in time, that day that you fill out the financial aid application and they they simply cannot you know, track, oh, the stock market went up one day, so right. let's take away the aid. You wouldn't want them to do that they have the same theory about when the stock market goes down. So I would say if you know if you are in a worse position like a lot of us are today, you know you thought you could easily swing college and now today maybe you can't think about other ways of funding. think about can you use your cash flow, your paycheck on a monthly basis, devote some of that to a monthly payment plan to the school. Think about do you need to borrow in the short term and maybe things turn around and you can pay back those loans. There are some you know short-term stop gaps that you can use perhaps while the market is down, that that can help you uh, meet that college bill.
1: Awesome, Shannon, thank you so much. And as always, thanks for joining and having this conversation around the questions that our listeners have. I really appreciate it.
3: It's my pleasure.
1: All right, and I'm gonna put in one more plea to please review us on Apple Podcasts. We really would appreciate that. Also to submit us uh, questions to us, right? Follow us on Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn. Um, Those are all great venues where you can submit questions, and we'll do our best to get them onto the podcast and answer them live for you. Um, Next week, Ian is our host. He is talking to students, maybe who want to be sportscasters. We have uh, someone in that field going to talk to us about the things that he did to get to where he is, um, what athletes who are hoping to be recruited should be doing now, and then also sharing financial aid package information with others. you know, how to do that, when to do that, when not to do that. So we're going to be talking about that. Um, And then uh, finally, we are here every Thursday. And for whatever reason, I can never get it in my head exactly when we are here. Um, But we're every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. That's it. Bye, everybody.